Welcome to Farmland. How will the government's new climate action plan affect dairy farms? ICMSA President Pat McCormack sets out his organisation's stance. And is there a farmer appetite to grow hemp in Ireland? Chaga specialist Barry Castlin and businesswoman Leah Fletcher outline where they see the potential. But first, what actions are farmers expected to take under the new climate plan? Sylvester Phelan has this report. The All of Government Climate Action Plan, unveiled by Minister for Communications, Climate Action and the Environment Richard Bruton last week, expects to reduce carbon emissions from agriculture by 10 to 15% by 2030. Land use, agriculture and forestry together will contribute approximately 40% of the reductions in emissions being planned between now and 2030, according to the Minister. In addition, carbon taxes will quadruple from €20 Euros per tonne to €80 Euros per tonne by 2030 at the latest, an action anticipated to cost taxpayers €2.3 billion Euros over the course of the next decade, with the Minister hinting that increases could start from Budget 2020. Minister Bruton also noted that the Climate Action Plan will be based on principles set out in the Chagas Climate Roadmap. These include 28 measures such as agricultural mitigation through improved breeding, changing fertilizer types and surrey spreading, land use and carbon sequestration through increased broadleaf forestry and improved pasture management, and energy efficiency and fossil fuel displacement through biofuel and anaerobic digestion. It was highlighted in particular by Minister Bruton that there is a plan to substantially increase the level of forestry planting. To meet a goal of 70% renewable source electricity by 2030, a micro-generation scheme is to be established allowing homeowners to generate and sell electricity back to the grid. Oil boilers in all new homes will be banned by 2022, while gas boilers are expected to be axed by 2025. Objectives are also afoot to gradually equalise diesel and petrol excise rates, with the aim to bring 950,000 electric vehicles to Irish roads by 2030. While farm organisations have broadly welcomed the report, how these changes will be implemented inside the farm gate remains a considerable challenge. We're here now with Pat McCormack, the president of the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association. Pat, thanks very much for coming in to us. Thank you, Claire. So, Pat, last week the government launched its Climate Action Report 2019. It sets out ambitious targets for agricultural emissions to get them down by 10 to 15% by 2030. What's your response to the report initially and is that target achievable? Is it realistic? Well, you know, first of all, Claire, it is a target. And I mean, agriculture is no different than any other sector or anything else in life. You must always set targets. You know, we must go as close as we possibly can to achieving those targets. Um, you know, they are ambitious. There's no point in saying otherwise. There's particular elements of those targets that are ambitious. Uh, in particular, I suppose, the forestry, the expectation of the target that's out there, that we'd um, plant in and around 8,000 hectares of forestry per annum, uh, when we are only at four, four and a half thousand at this point in time. So that's going to be a target that, that's going to be very, very ambitious to deliver on. Um, you know, obviously the Tegas Met curve is going to have a significant impact uh, and hopefully that that will deliver, whether it's the low emission slurry spreading, uh, the protected urea, uh, and also EBI, obviously, from the dairy herd and indeed from the beef uh, offspring from the dairy herd as well. You know, we saw ICBF uh, this spring launched the, the beef index uh, for the dairy herd and we'll hope that that will will deliver as well to help bring down our emissions overall. And Pat, are there concerns among your members about a possible cap on production uh, following the implementation of this plan? Because Minister, the Minister for Agriculture has stated that 
farmers need to engage with this plan or else other measures might be taken. So are you concerned about a cap on production or that, you know, down the line, could the dairy herd be limited? Could the national herd be limited? Well, look, who, who knows? I suppose the minister at this point in time has given a commitment that there won't be individual caps. I think that would be a retrograde step. Um, as somebody who's uh, not that long gone from being a young farmer and certainly in European terms not gone from being a young farmer that long um, and you know there's a lot of farmers out there in their 40s but they've given the last 30 years living in the shackles of quotas. I think from an Irish dairy industry perspective it's be very very difficult to see, uh, see us go back into the shackles of an environmental restriction so hopefully that won't happen. Uh, I think economics will dictate a lot and I think there needs to be a huge uh, program out there amongst consumers and awareness amongst consumers that we're top of the range for, from an animal welfare perspective and that we're doing more and more over the last 25, 30 years. Farmers have invested significantly in their, their farmyard layouts and infrastructure, uh, obviously to become labour-wise more efficient, but to become environmentally more compatible. And, uh, you know, that awareness needs to be out there for consumers, that all this comes at a cost for the producer. And at some point in time that the producer won't be able to withstand any more of those costs and that the burden is going to have to be shared. It, that awareness among the consumer, is it there? I'm afraid there's an environmental awareness there amongst the consumer, but there isn't an economic awareness. And by that, I mean that they don't understand that there's a significant cost associated with being, being ever so compliant. I mean, you know, is it there within Europe, Claire? We see us sitting down here today to talk about climate change and the targets and the ambitions for the future. And at the same time, we have Commissioner Hogan in Europe talking about closing out a Mercosur deal. Uh, with no restrictions, bringing in cheap food. And that is a huge concern, not alone for, for Irish, Irish beef, but indeed for European beef. So there's massive contradictions out there, I suppose. On the ground, that's what the farmers are feeling. Uh, farmers are saying to me that it's hypocritical, absolutely hypocritical, that they're saying, what, implementing one thing and agreeing a different thing with, with, in a Mercosur deal. And, you know, that has to be vetoed, if necessary, by our Taoiseach. And I would encourage the Minister for Agriculture uh, to have a word in his ear because, you know, we have the power uh, here at home in Ireland uh, to veto that deal. And Pat, just back on the climate report, um, a far forestation is a big piece of the puzzle here. It's a, it's going to play a huge part. Uh, Minister Creed has said that he doesn't want the afforestation to take place in any uh, one particular part of the country, not in areas where maybe the land is more disadvantaged. Are dairy farmers out there open to the idea of planting a section of good quality grassland um, for opening that up for forestry to help get emissions down? Well, you know, I suppose that farmers, certainly dairy farmers, uh, have more of a, uh, a stake in the environmental ambitions than anybody else, obviously water quality and that. You know, milk and platform is the one restrictor for the dairy farm. So I think the vast majority of dairy farmers should be a no, a no, a no go area uh, to be planting some of that uh, ground uh, that's around the milk and, milk and pallor uh, for forestry. But maybe they may have marginal land, but maybe they may have a neighbour who's not as profitable as, as, as they could be uh, in another enterprise. And maybe there's an opportunity there for, for farmers in less profitable and maybe you know, age profile and all that, it might suit them, maybe they're part-time farmers, you know, but ultimately forestry needs to be seen as attractive, it needs to be seen as attractive financially, and it also needs to be seen as attractive long-term, because unfortunately in the past we've seen mature forestry harvested 
and then left uh, to wreck and ruin for years after. Uh, you mentioned, Pat, about the slurry application changes there and changes in terms of fertiliser management under this new plan. How will that impact on the ground? Well, you know, I suppose there's a huge challenge out there and we've seen it with irrigation farmers, you know, for, for, for the remainder of 2019 uh, to have the low emission slurry equipment available locally and at, at a time to, to spread the slurry for the farmers. Um, obviously, it can have a significant impact uh, you know, for there's two and a half thousand, maybe near to three thousand applications gone through the TEM scheme now. Uh, but you know, if the government had to be serious about it, I think the the rate of grant aid should be increased to sixty percent because you know those spreaders are twice the cost of a conventional spreader for for the farmer, uh, and to make them viable for the for the farmer as well as the contractor. Um, you know, protect the urea. We've been lobbying co-ops, obviously on mill price. It's the number one for ICMSA, but after that, you know, it's environmental issues and that all those co-ops and various different uh, fertilizer suppliers would have in stock the protected urea at a competitive price. That's to be critical part of it as well, because, you know, in some areas it's not made available to farmers. Um, Pat, finally, there, the carbon tax, the government has said that that is going to be increased from 20 euro per tonne up to 8 euro per tonne uh, by 2030. Where there's um, an equalisation on duties on petrol and diesel, a ban on diesel cars coming down the line. Do you know, that's all going to have indirect impo- impacts on, on farmers. Does the ICMSA accept the government's position um, on those issues and, and what are, what's the ICMSA going to do about it? Well, you know, we're, we're going to lobby very, very strongly that uh, farmers and rural people need their diesel cars. They need, you know, to be in a position to take stock to the factory, to go to the co-op, uh, and they need to have power in their engine. That's not available in the, al- the alternatives, unfortunately. The sustainability of, of the charge on the battery, uh, from what I've heard from the experts, wouldn't maintain over a period of time. What we would be looking for, though, is that the microenergy would be uh, encouraged and promoted in the budget 2020, which is coming up in the autumn, where solar panels, for example, would be a, uh, a viable option on the, the sheds and infrastructure that are out there in the farmyards of rural Ireland. And it is initiatives like that that may make farm families viable uh, in the years ahead. Pat, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us. And now uh, Wicklow farmer Ed Hambridge has integrated the hemp crop onto his farm down in, in Baltinglass. Niall Claffey has this report. Edward Hanbridge is an organic beef and sheep farmer in County Wicklow. After a period working away from the family farm, Edward returned home and in 2015 the farm took a step in a unique direction. A crop of hemp was sown. When Agrilan caught up with Edward, he explained exactly what it takes to grow this crop. We're cattle and sheep here. I would never have been a tillage farmer, but it, so far I have found it quite easy enough now to, to grow. That it's plough, till, sow and close the gate. You'd be sown in, in May once the temperatures get up. You'd want to be getting them up to that 10 degrees. But you want a fine seed bed. So ploughing, uh, what I do is I ploughed it, I rolled it, I power harrowed it twice and uh, sowed it and rolled it again. And then you just close the gate because you don't need your sprays. Once, once it gets established, um, it grows that quick that it gets up above any of the weeds. This year on the farm, there's about 40 acres. The first year I grew it, I had seven, and then I cut it back to three, and then I went to five, and then I went to ten, and now I'm on 40. Uh, this variety is the Fenola. So Fenola will get to a sort of a, 
um, four foot, four to five foot. There is varieties out there that will get to 18 foot. Edward, who offers advice about the crop through Hemtech Ireland, also outlined how it is harvested. For the seed, you would use a combine. Uh, an ordinary combine uh, is able to handle it, no hassle. You'd come in, um, you'd want to be lifting it up a little bit, uh, just not taking in too much of the fibres, because those fibres are ridiculously strong, that they can get lapped up a little bit, but lift it up a little bit and then um, there's no hassle then. You're, get, you're getting the head of the plant then where all the seed is. Now it doesn't come in all at the one time, it's just the nature of the plant that all of the seed doesn't come in at the one time. So once you have between sort of 70 and 80 percent of the seed ripe, that's when you're going in to, to cut it. Once harvested, the seed is dried from a moisture content of approximately 20 percent to below 8 percent. Uh, bringing it up to Irish health oils. So Luke McGuinness is the owner of it, he's up in Ashburn and he was cold pressing it. So he was cold pressing the, the seed into an oil and um, then it was being distributed using for putting on salads, in, in pestos, hummus. It's the best food for human consumption that there is out there because it's so balanced. While Edward discussed the endless possibilities achievable from various parts of a hemp crop, he had the following advice for farmers. I would say to start small, that because we're, uh, we're very early still, so markets are only being developed. So I wouldn't advise anyone going too big. It's, it's the downfall of everyone isn't going too big too quick. So start small, see how you like the crop, see how it fits into your rotation. You have to look at who is going to be buying that crop off of you. And there, that's what we have to work on now. That Yes, it has all of these applications, but to process it, those processors are not there. So this is why we have to go to the government now and say, look, give us a few pounds, we'll get this going, and then we'll have somewhere for the farmers to bring their crop. So there is, there is small farmers, uh, small processors being set up, but it's cottage industry at the minute because there's no Irish seed there. Like, well, let's, we're, with the co-op now, with the Hemp Cooperative of Ireland, we're able to sort of dictate the price. That we're at a stage now where the farmers are able to dictate the price and that doesn't usually happen. So I'm saying like that the farmer has to get 1,500 euros a tonne for his seed. And at that then, um, you're making a few pounds on it. You're making more than anything else. So it's, it's the seed is where I'd start just because that market is moving that bit quicker. It should be easier to sell the seed. The, uh, the inflorescence, the flowers, that is very, very lucrative. Um, but that's where the uh, controversy in the grey area is. In addition, farmers who want to grow a hemp crop must obtain a licence before doing so. You have to get a licence every year. You apply to the HPRA, which is the Health Products Regulatory Authority. Uh, you get the, the application form from them and they will want to know where is the field, who's going to be buying it, uh, what variety are you sowing, and that's more or less it. We're joined now by Leah Fletcher, the co-founder of De Danu, a company that processes and manufactures hemp in Ireland. We're also joined by Barry Castlin, specialist in energy and rural development at Chagask. Thank you both for coming into us. Uh, Barry, starting with yourself, Chagask have been involved in research into hemp production since the 1960s. Ed has outlined there that there are a number of components to the plant itself. Can you just outline exactly what is the hemp plant and what are the products that can be made from it? Yeah, the Latin name for hemp is cannabis sativa and uh, 
it can be it has been grown in Chagas as you say since the 60s and industrial hemp varieties so industrial hemp is has a THC or a tetrahydrocannabidiol content of less than 0.2% so that means it doesn't contain the psychoactive component um, and it's legally allowed to be grown so you have to get a license from the HPRA in order to grow it that's the health products regulatory authority um, we there is different components to hemp that can be produced from a farmer's perspective you can produce um, cannabinoids which can be used to produce CBD oil and there's an extraction process required there to extract um, uh, um, CBD oil from the from the leaf or from the uh, from the seed you can also produce uh, seed and that seed can be uh, crushed to produce uh, hemp oil which is high in the omega 3 6 and 9 a very healthy oil and then you can also produce the fiber and the fiber can be used for everything from insulation material it can be used for biocomposites um, even producing bioplastics. So there's a wide uh, variety of components. There's about 50,000 different products that can be produced from hemp. And uh, I think that if we can even focus in on five of those today, there's a lot of high value products, such as biodegradable plastic, such as insulation material that we can new, that we can produce and generate income for farmers in rural areas. So Barry, how many hemp farmers are there in Ireland at the moment? And, and what is the bit that's making money for them? There's about 370 hectares that have been licensed by the HPRA, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, this year in 2019. And the figures are increasing every year. Most of it's been used for um, mainly for seed production and crushing the seed to produce this omega-3, 6 and 9, 9 healthy oil. Um, but that is going to change in the future. There will be opportunities for extraction of the CBD from uh, the seed and also from the leaf. So we are going to see other opportunities there in the, in the near future. In relation to the fibre, there's less opportunities there because we do, we do need processing facilities or infrastructure in order to process the fibre. And that's what's needed there is a decortification plant to separate out the fibres, the shivs, the herds and the dust that can produce that uh, high, high value material for insulation or biocomposites. Like if you take even the likes of BMW and a lot of the big car manufacturers, they're already looking for hemp material to use in their in the cars in the panels and dashes of their cars it can also be used to produce a, a hempcrete so you mix lime with the with the shivs and uh, you produce hempcrete that can be used in the building and construction industry a much lower carbon footprint than you would have in using a concrete and just what about growing the plant in ireland is it easy to grow here what about uh, the the inputs involved um, is it is it is the irish environment a good environment for it to grow in yeah the crop is set around april may that time of the year <clears throat> you want to get it in before the the last or just after the frost um, but it grows very very rapidly and we, we what we found is there's no need for any pesticides herbicides or fungicides with the crop because it gets ahead of any weeds very, very quickly. So it's a very vigorous type of crop. Um, it, it grows to, there's tall varieties that grow up to 12, 14 foot in height. The smaller varieties that grow up to six foot in height uh, that you would produce seed from. The taller varieties are mostly associated with fiber production. Um, it would yield anywhere from 10 to 12 ton of dry matter per hectare per year. It's an annual crop, so it's only set once. And then it's harv in April, May, and it's harvested around September, that time of the year. So as Ed was saying in the intro there, it's harvested for the seed with um, a Kemper header, or uh, sorry, with um, an ordinary combine harvester to harvest the seed. Uh, and then for the fibre varieties, there'll be different types of machinery that will be needed to harvest the, the longer, stemmier uh, fibre varieties.
Leah, you have worked out in Canada as well in this industry. You were out yeah. there helping companies set up um, and, and creating their, their business plans. Uh, can you, and then you've moved back here and you could tell us about your company here, yeah. but first off, can you just um, outline kind of the global marketplace out there at the moment for this, in, for hemp at an industrial scale? Yeah, sure. Well, hemp really came online because medical cannabis came online and the international trend moved from cannabis and people saw value in hemp. And with conversations hot about uh, circular economies, bioeconomies, the environment, hemp really offers an awful lot of solutions. Um, it's a great uh, plant for sequestering carbon. There's num numerous end uses. Um, therefore, there's countries all over the world coming online uh, pushing hemp. Yeah, so the barriers seem to be coming down even in the US. Yes. Um, there was legislation passed there in the Farm Bill last yeah. year. So, and they're saying that it's a very lucrative market at yes. 22 billion could be made from it by 2022. So, um, Globally, there the opportunity is opening up for this area. Is that something Ireland can capitalize on? Oh, definitely. With Ireland um, and our history uh, internationally as an agricultural island, and uh, an island where people um, have trusted for products, you know, our, our brands are globally recognised, and for us to be able to come online w with Irish hemp. It's a great opportunity. It's fantastic. And so you're set up now down in Westmead. Uh, yeah. You have a, a laboratory down there where you're manufacturing and processing hemp. Um, how many farmers are you working with at the moment? Are you contracting? Uh, this year we have nine contracted farmers in total. Um, we basically are still in the process of setting up infrastructure. There is an awful lot needed, as Barry said. Um, we want to make sure that those farmers are supported with the infrastructure and education pieces that are involved. Next year we're looking to expand to an awful lot more. Um, as our processes are put in place and as we um, develop our markets, we'll need more and more. So Leah, a lot of farmers, anyone who's been interested in this yeah. and possibly diversifying into this space, what kind of return can be made from getting into this area? Depending on the end use and what markets are available, um, you're looking anywhere from 1,500 to 4,000 euro an acre um, for basically the, just the top part of the plant, that is, so the, the leaf, the flower, the seed. Um, and that's pretty good in comparison to some of the other options that are out there. Um, Barry, coming in on that, look, diversification is um, a huge way forward now for farming. And we saw with the, the National Farm Survey from Chagas recently, the, the state of incomes at the moment and the outlook isn't, you know, it's mixed, it's uncertain, these buzzwords thrown around the place. Um, but at the same time, I suppose the challenge with maybe going into hemp production, people might think back to Miscanthus and Willow back about 10 years ago. And uh, that didn't really develop as as was hoped at the time, and even though there was government support behind it. So why is there kind of a reluctance there among the farmer, do you think, to really um, expand into this area? I suppose the fear of failure is why a lot of people don't want to, I suppose, engage in, in, a, in a new area. But I think there's a lot of people, um, I found even since last Friday's conference, there's an awful lot of people that are inquiring about the option of growing hemp on a contract basis for potential processors here in Ireland. So, I mean, there's, there's a great momentum. As you say, there's, um, farmers are looking for land use alternatives. We have 16% of the land area of Ireland that is controlled by uh, 40,000 farmers who have a standard output of less than 8,000 euro per year. And then within the National Farm Survey, you have about a third of those farmers who are not viable. You have the middle third who are sustainable because maybe they have enough farm income. So there's a lot of farmers within Ireland who are really genuinely looking for land use alternatives. 
as Leah mentioned, supports are going to be needed to get the infrastructure in, in place, to get the processing facilities in place. I think there was, there's, um, the, the, the momentum is there, certainly, uh, especially with the younger farmers, people who have inherited a farm of land, looking, looking to see what can they do with that farm of land, turn a shilling for themselves, that they can actually uh, make, make a good viable income and that's going to support them and their families to stay in rural areas. That's the biggest challenge we have at the moment, is how do we encourage young people to stay in, in a rural area? It's different diversifications, as we spoke about before, with agri-tourism and uh, arts and food production, but this is something new and novel. This is a new opportunity that we haven't... Uh, there's a global demand, as Leah mentioned, for uh, various products that can be produced from hemp. It can tick so many boxes in terms of construction industry, greenhouse gas abatement. So I think with a little bit more initiative and some more supports um, to develop the sector, I think we will see a massive um, increase in this area. Uh, and Chagas and the IFA, yourself, Leah, you're involved in this. Uh, there's a hemp working group out there at the moment. Um, Leah, what, are, what, what is that group driving at the minute? Are you engaging with government? What, what are you looking for? <clears throat> well, we started off just putting forward um, just the message behind hemp and, and starting conversations around hemp. Uh, we held a conference last week in Chagas. Um, and moving forward, we're going to be uh, discussing policy and how we can change, make little changes that would have an enormous impact for farmers around the country, um, particularly around um, you know organic schemes and payments for organic schemes and uh, licensing, making the licensing applications more streamlined, um, stuff like that really. And finally, Barry, just there is another element to this in terms of rural jobs and rural employment uh, that co could come from that industry. Is that is that right? Yeah, I suppose what we, that conference last week as, as well was really trying to move the taboo around the whole area of hemp. Like uh, a lot of people would associate the crop with, um, it is linked to the cannabis plant, but the varieties we're talking about again is the non-psychoactive varieties. Um, but yes, job creation potential is massive in this area. We, all, we heard from one of the speakers at the conference the last day that there's potential for 80,000 jobs in the short term uh, from hemp uh, in various areas, for, for whether that's on the fibre side, whether it's in the, um, um, also in the seed side. Uh, so there's, the opportunities will emerge very, very uh, quickly, I think, because uh, the global demand is escalating at a rapid scale. We'll leave it there. Thank you both very much for joining us and we'll be watching that space closely. Um, thank you also at home for, for watching us. If you have any comments or feedback, you can reach out to us on any of our platforms or our social media channels. We'll be back again next week. See you then.